Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Duong. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chrisanne Morgan. Hey, all you Greyhounds. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 4, Big Week. It's the match we've all been waiting for, a top-of-the-table tussle between Richmond and West Ham. But the Greyhounds take the tussling a bit too far after an unbelievable revelation for them. For Ted, the West Ham showdown is just one of many things he's dealing with, including incessant pressure from Rebecca to win. On the other side of the matchup, Nate wrestles with trying to make amends with Ted, while the entire repertoire of Rupert's shittiness is on full display. So there's an app I use that has a bunch of quote-unquote brain games that I use to stay sharp for my writing, and one of the games they give you a common word and you have to try to guess as many synonyms in a short amount of time. The reason I bring this up is I feel that calling this big week was kind of an understatement. If anything, it was massive, like the Brits like to say, pivotal, gigantic. What do you think, Rasan? Yeah, I think this was the biggest week. I think this was our gargantuan week. So for this episode, there was also a lot of big steps for Ted. And it all started at the beginning when he asked Sassy out on a proper date. So it seems like that Ted is finally ready to move on from Michelle. I don't know if he did that because he's ready to move on from Michelle. I feel like he's doing that because it's easy and she's there and he already has a connection with her. So she's kind of safe um, and he has that familiarity. So it seems like a perfectly Ted move, but I'm glad she I'm glad she turned him down flat. I'm very glad that she didn't say, yeah, let's try to cobble this into something. As a fellow Tibekistan, very glad that she turned him down. <laughs> um, because let's face it, you know, Ted still is a mess. He he is absolutely a mess. I love that Sassy just kind of said it and didn't judge it and called herself a mess as well. Slight disarray. Slight disarray, that's right. She She's in slight disarray. And I love her so much, but I'm getting a little tired of the Ted Sassy storyline because at this point... They either need to move on to a full relationship or they just need to let it go. Um, so they kind of gave us a stopping point for that so that Ted can actually move on to what's actually beyond his rebound. And you never date the rebound. You never date it. You never date the person you rebound with. You just don't do it. You don't do it. It's also quite interesting how it showed throughout the episode the dramatic differences between how Sassy feels about Ted versus Rebecca. Like, I feel one of the reasons we all love Ted is because of his puns, and she had the audacity to call them dreadful. Please. I live for Ted's puns. Give me dad bod and puns all day, every day. Very hot. (laughs) Well, on the flip side, Rebecca not only enjoys Ted's puns, but she makes her own, like, Zava Dabba Doo. I feel like their conversation also shows how much Rebecca really understands Ted. Because when she went down to talk to him and he was just getting ready to gloss over it and not tell her the truth, she clocked it. And then she she used Oklahoma, which I thought was such a beautiful moment, so intimate between them. And he mostly told her the truth. I don't think he came completely clean with her, but he definitely he definitely told the truth more than he ever has with her before about that. What did you think about their Oklahoma moment? Another amazing thing about Rebecca invoking Oklahoma was, if you recall, when Ted brought it up, she seemed very like disinterested in the whole concept. 
Tez's actual question to her was, oh, I bet you must dig that we're getting so close. And her fake answer was, I do. And then when he invoked Oklahoma, she's like, I do not. So even though she might have not enjoyed it the first time, she remembered it and knew to bring it back at this pivotal moment to get Ted to really open up. So I really loved that. I did too. I thought it was so wonderful because things have changed so much since she first said that. Before the season began, Hannah posted a story of a promo picture. It was the one where it's Ted and Rebecca and Rebecca's like holding the flag. But anyways, she captioned it with Oklahoma, which immediately I knew that meant that it was going to come back at some point. I will say that I thought it was probably earlier than I expected, but I'm definitely glad that they did bring it back. So as you said, Sassy called Ted a mess, which is true, but when Ted asked Rebecca the same thing, she's like, yeah, that's why we get along. So I thought that was a really great moment as well. Yeah, it just goes to show how wrong Sassy is for Ted. And P.S., you can still, you can be a mess and still have a romantic relationship with someone. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be perfect before or completely healed before getting into a relationship. Sometimes with the right person, you can overcome a lot together or just when you're with the right person who just gets it and understands you, if you're a mess, as Rebecca said, that's why we get along, you know, and your baggage fits together nicely. You can just carry on. You don't have to be a being of light (laughs) in order to get into a relationship. Speaking of a beam of light, I think Danny would agree since he said in his banter promo that the most beautiful parts of a woman are her flaws. Oh my God, I love that moment. God bless the writers and God bless Danny Roja. This episode was full of a lot of really wonderful things that as a woman, you just notice it's clear that they have some really evolved men and some great women on this writing staff. So even though Ted seems to be really distracted and kind of checked out and really distracted by everything that's going on in his life, he has a really great shift. But we also see very much when Ted doesn't, um, Ted didn't sign on to choose violence (laughs) and motivate the players through anger, but he also didn't tell Beard and Roy not to because he was so distracted about going to talk to Rebecca. And, you know, if Ted had been focused and Ted had been on it, as we see some of the things that Ted forgets to take care of end up coming back to bite everybody in the butt, you know, with Nate uh, not doing anything about that or not, you know, not calling certain things out on the team, they come back to haunt us later. And I really feel like had Ted just been with it, uh, maybe that wouldn't have happened, but At the same time, I love that he was so gracious and so kind about them doing something that didn't work. Big whoop. You tried something. It didn't work. There's plenty of more football to play, which I thought was so great. So even though Ted has seemed really distracted and really kind of feeling his way through life right now to try and figure out what he's doing and what he wants to be and what life beyond marriage looks like for him, He has this beautiful shift at the end of the episode. And even if he can't really say more about it, than the thing with Dr. Jacob ticks me off. 
I feel like it's such a big leap for Ted to be able to come out and tell her how he's feeling and what he's feeling instead of making some platitude or generalizing or making things overly positive or not dealing with it at all because that was her big problem with him, right? He just wasn't kind of dealing in a real space with her in a very authentic space. And so for him to come and be vulnerable and actually tell her how it made him feel was really huge for Ted. What do you make of Michelle's reaction at the end, though? There's definitely a lot of conflicting um, interpretations of that. I was really confused by it at first because it seems like she's kind of sad and guilty and then she smiles. And I was like, okay, well, some people are automatically going to off the bat think that, oh, that means Ted and Michelle are going to get back together as I'm seeing all over the internet. But I feel like maybe Ted echoing his love for her and Henry and being open to, you know, we have to share grandkids together and moving on in a place of, of love rather than animosity. I think, you know, her seeing Ted be real with her made her smile because that's a big achievement. And she recognizes it as a big achievement. That's my take. What's your take? At the beginning of Ted's conversation with Michelle, he said that I know that you and I aren't together anymore and I respect that. So I think people should respect that when they think about them potentially reconciling. I agree with you 100%. I don't think it's a good thing for Ted to go back and try to resurrect that. I think it's done and they need to move forward. You know, honestly, even if Ted and Rebecca don't get together ultimately as a romantic couple, I still don't think he should go back to Michelle. Let's not forget that Michelle was the one that initiated the divorce. Right. So who's to say she would even take Ted back or wants him back? Plus, seems like things with Jake the Jackass are getting serious-ish if he's around the house all the time and taking Henry to soccer games. I think clearing Sassy and clear clarifying his feelings about Michelle, I mean, they're kind of creating an empty stage for something, are they not, you think? I would think it could be for another person to come in to have a romantic connection with. Again, obviously, I would prefer that he gets together with Rebecca, but even if he doesn't, Ted moving in the right direction by maybe looking for something, but also being able to vent, as Beard said, to Michelle, I think those are pretty big steps for him. Yeah, big, big steps. And another one was before he started that conversation, he looked at the glass of whiskey, contemplated, but eventually decided to put it down. So another step for another area of his life that he could improve upon. While we're still talking about kind of the beginning and we're getting into our episode, can I just say that since we know that the show loves uh, the rule of threes, that the last two episodes have had naked behinds at the beginning of the episode, do you think we're going to get a third one? And who is it going to be? Well, if we're talking about the entire series as a whole, then they probably would have completed it with this week because in season two, they had Luca's ass, right? Oh, that's true. Good call, right? No, you might be right about that. And now I'm sad. You just burst my booty bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get over it, I promise. So many callbacks this episode, too. They were really good. I did love that we went back to Bones and Honey, though. I thought that was wonderful because you know that Beard After Hours is one of my very favorite episodes. Nate walks in, Rupert hands him a palpatini, and he spits it back out. <laughs> <laughs> Just like he did in For the Children. 
That was a total Ted joke, right? That was like right on par. I lassoed it right up. I actually had someone DM me and say that they're not feeling the season as much. And one of the reasons was they feel like the overabundance of callbacks is kind of like a bit too far into fan servicing. What do you think about that? Um, I'm a fan of fan servicing. I don't have a problem with it. I feel like it's a shared language and I don't feel like they, I mean, I don't believe that it's fan servicing because honestly, I feel like so much of the writing from the get-go was like references and in jokes that they had in the writer's room. So I don't think they're doing it for us. I think they're just doing it because that's the kind of culture they have, or, you know, I don't know how writing rooms work because I've never been in one or on one, but I do know improvisation and there's always a bit or, you know what I mean? Some kind of a, a common shared uh, dialogue. So, and you know what? It's just that Ted Lasso is not their cup of tea if they don't like it, you know? I'm also hearing a lot on the internet about how the, the show has changed so much from the first season and that it didn't realize what a huge success it was going to be. And now they're just pandering to that success. And I'm like, I, just, I don't agree. If they didn't already have it, you know, charted out uh, and have a, a vision for all three seasons, then I would maybe say, yeah, they're just flying by the seat of their pants. But that's not the case at all. What about you? Do you think they're just servicing the fans, Kevin, or do you like it? I love it. I'm a big fan of it. So I'm on board. Well, in terms of comedy, one of the things I love the most when watching like a, a special is when near the end, they call back to something they had at the very beginning. So I obviously love callbacks. And you made a good point that like it's been very well documented that they had a three season structure planned out meticulously. So yeah, it's Probably more for them than us, to be honest. That's what I would think, too. Because it, it's also not something that can happen in real time. You know, it's not like they make the joke and then they get an immediate response. So as for Richmond's opponents, Nate, very interesting that he also has his own set of figurines, where, of course, Ted has Legos, but Nate has the little soccer figures. I noticed that, too. I thought that was such a cool thing that they did. It's kind of a way for both Nate and Ted to kind of process through their feelings and thoughts about the other person in kind of an interesting way. I thought that was a really clever uh, choice that they made. I had a little a little heart squeeze when Nate picked Ted up off of the ground after knocking him down and said, there you go, kind of almost imperceptibly. I was like, oh, he still loves Ted. He's going to come back. With this episode, the Nate Redemption arc has officially begun. Yes, it's definitely in play, in progress. So for that taste of Athens scene, clearly Nate likes Jade since he asked for a number in season two, but she seems to not like him or at least pretend not to like him. What do you think about that whole situation? I love Jade. Long may she reign. <laughs> I think she's wonderful. And... I don't know. There's not really much to say or think about it. She's just a hostess and she's, you know, probably sees men coming through that are trying to, I don't know, impress her. And she just remains impassive. I think that's just who she is. And I think it's very funny. Especially calling him Jason Jelly. I thought that was funny. So Nate really seems to be kind of wavering, right? He doesn't feel very solid to me. He's kind of like, 
Am I going to be the good lad who earned a promotion with Ted? Or am I going to be the jerk ass that Rupert seems to want to influence me to be? Like, I feel like he's just kind of swaying between that. And it's like calling his players to the dumb, dumb line. But he's also quoting the king and I. (laughs) So it's like, where are you, Nate? Which side are you going to pick? He still hasn't quite gone over to the dark side. And I feel like there's some very interesting things that happened in this episode to make him see that Rupert isn't actually the father figure that he might be seeking that he had in Ted. Like I said in my Nate redemption video, Nate needs a father figure and Rupert ain't it either. Exactly right. I think when they play with Nate's status too, when he is just standing in the corner of the elevator hiding from Ted um, and Ted's pun jokes, is your dad a tree? We're so funny. It's it's kind of heartbreaking to watch it because you're seeing Nate's lack of self-esteem on full display. You know, all those cringy moments where we get to see him acting from the the smallest, angriest or, you know, unhealed part of himself. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch because I just, I want Nate to come along and come back into the light. That was quite the encounter in the elevator, especially at the beginning where he pretends to be all cold, but then, like you said, he's like swaying back and forth and he's like, oh, maybe I should talk to Ted about what happens. But then, of course, with this episode, just a lot of bad timing in terms of Nate wanting to talk to Ted, but then something getting in the way. Yeah, Rupert kind of swooping in and not giving him the chance to. And Nate's guilt over what he did, you know, and you see it play out. It, I mean, it's definitely like watching watching him on the on the security footage that Trent got of Nate pulling down the believe sign and ripping it up. It looks like a little kid who's mad at one of their parents trying to, you know, I'm going to make my parents suffer by doing this. I mean, that's exactly what it looked like to me. And it was... At first, I thought it was really funny, and I was like, "Oh, serves him right, he falling down for you know trying to trying to destroy the belief sign." But then I realized how how sad it was. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way. Like at the beginning, laughed kind of like Roy did, but then by the end, felt bad for him like Ted did. And Ted's empathy—it's just so touching to watch because no matter what gets thrown at him, he manages to respond with empathy. Just why we love him so much. Really interesting, though. Going back to uh, Nate and Rupert, it's so interesting to see the disparity in the way the two owners and the two managers communicate. Like, it's very clear that for Rupert, Nate is just a tool in his arsenal to kind of win, right? He doesn't really care. He doesn't really have a lot of connection. And then on the flip side of that is Rebecca and Ted, which have all these other layers anyway, but as they've grown together as an owner and a manager, they care about each other so much. And um, it's very clear that Rebecca is no longer just using Ted as a tool in her arsenal. She actually really cares about him. And he's actually kind of helping bring Rebecca to the light as well, even though she's also helping him. It's a symbiotic thing, right? What do you think the whole difference is between sometimes he's Mr. Mannion to Nate, but other times he's Rupert? Oh, I have thoughts about that. So obviously, Rupert doesn't want Nate to show any sort of weakness. He doesn't want Nate talking about Ted or feeling bad about Ted. He just wants Nate to be that killer who slays the press and takes Ted down a peg. And the minute Rupert saw Nate expressing any kind of second thoughts about Ted and kind of 
not feeling, you know, looking for guidance, he shut him down. That doesn't work, right? That doesn't work for him. And the minute that Nate was kind of back in it and, and he, you know, after the game where he completely destroyed Richmond. Although let's be fair, Richmond kind of destroyed themselves too. You're so right. I was going to say that too. <laughs> Richmond did it to themselves. But as soon as Nate got back into that unfeeling cold meanie, he was Rupert again. So that's my take on that. Do you agree? I do agree. And I think especially when Nate was having the second thoughts about Ted and saying, oh, should I go apologize? I think a reason why Rupert decided there to go back to the Mr. Mannion was to go back to the whole father figure thing. He's trying to make clear that he's not going to be like the Ted for him here at West Ham. There's not going to be any of that. None of that. Not with Rupertine around. <laughs> there's no there's no love there. He's got a black, black heart. I also think a very kind of seminal moment was when Nate clocked Rupert fooling around with his secretary or Miss Cakes uh, at Bones and Honey. And it, it looks like he, he doesn't really approve of it. And so I feel like the distance between that congeniality that he had at Richmond and all of the trappings of the money and the power, we might see Nate comparing them. I don't know, but it definitely didn't look to me as though Nate approved of, of that monkey business. I'm just going to put this out there. If he snitched on Ted having panic attack, maybe he'll snitch on Rupert having an affair. Right? You never know. I know we didn't talk about this when I brought up the whole naked butt thing, but did you peg Jamie for going full Winnie the Pooh? And Winnie the Pooh, as you know, only wears a shirt, but doesn't wear anything on his bottom half. A la Jamie when he opened the door for Roy at 4 a.m. I was so shocked by it that I didn't catch Roy's joke the first time when he said he's going to flick his balls if he doesn't start the training. <laughs> I thought that was funny, too, because Roy is apparently very abusive to his fellow teammates' uh, private parts. Because you remember in the pilot episode, Roy yells at everybody to be quiet or he's going to start punching dicks. <laughs> Roy has some issues. And then a couple episodes later, he said that he'd use Jamie's balls as a speed bag. So that just shows the growth in the relationship right there from speed back to just a couple of flicks. <laughs> My, how they're coming together, our boys. This balls to the walls analysis is the type of stuff you'll find here on this podcast. Yes, indeed. Can I also say, as long as we're talking about people's downstairs, that this episode had some of the best period humor on Ted Lasso t on TV in general. I thought it was brilliant. Mwah. For Rebecca, I was kind of disappointed to see that she still seems to kind of have feelings about Sam because when they're talking about the the banter shoot and who's going to be there and just the single players and she's like, oh, list she's listing all the players and includes Sam. I mean, Sam is so wonderful and she may just be wistful for how great it could be or it could have been, you know? I mean, she probably does still have feelings for Sam, but I still don't think that she wants to be with him because if she wanted to be with him, she would be, and they would have already made that that happen. But that to me just read her being wistful about what might have been. I mean, I have a lot of issues about the Sam Becca storyline, but one of them being is that Rebecca was the one that initially broke it off in the closet during the funeral episode. But then the next episode, she's kind of like having second thoughts. And then we're how many episodes past this now? And she's like still on it. 
Well, it's just because she has, she doesn't have another person in her life, right? And Sam is so great, so wise, so kind. Pretty easy to fall for a guy like Sam and really hard to turn someone like that away, especially if they're that wonderful. So I don't blame her, but I just hope that she keeps her thoughts to herself so as not to inflict any more more pain on poor Sam. Speaking of Rebecca inflicting pain on people, what the hell happened in the hallway at halftime with her and Ted? Like, She was definitely super wound up. She remains wound up about Rupert. And it's like a trigger for her that's really a lot deeper, obviously, than the actual situation that she's acting out. So she is a mess. Rebecca pegged herself quite correctly that she is a mess because she also hasn't gotten a lot of help uh, about the whole Rupert thing. And she could probably use some other than just going drinking with Sassy and Keely. Or to her mother's psychic. Or to her mother's psychic, absolutely. But I really do feel like later on in the episode, well, Ted also tells her, Ted tells her that she's already won because she she got that turkey out of her life, which I think she didn't really take in. But then I feel like maybe she kind of sees it when she walks up to Rupert and tells, you know, calls him out having inappropriate uh, interactions with his assistant. I feel like she might kind of be getting reset and realizing that, oh, I don't necessarily need to let this guy roam around rent-free in my brain and in my heart anymore. I think I can put him in his evil little place and move forward. Oh, I would like Rupert to be kicked to the curb by Bex, and I would love Rebecca to help make that happen because it seems like Rebecca doesn't hate Bex. You know, I think Rebecca sees so much of herself in Bex, or maybe does. So to expand upon your point about Rebecca and Bex, Ted Lasso has a lot of great things going for it. One of them is that I don't really recall them ever pitting a woman against another woman in the show. Like, Rebecca has every reason to hate Bex, especially since because of her, the press started calling her old Rebecca. And then technically, you could view Diane as the baby that Rebecca never got to have with Rupert. But in the interactions at the end, she seems to actually generally care for Bex, which is great to see. Yeah, yeah. A much less evolved person and or writers would allow that to be an animosity that Rebecca has. And I love that they didn't do that. So another great thing about this episode was that we had the return of the Diamond Dogs. Release the hounds. They finally brought our diamond dogs back. And I like how that, although Roy technically wasn't part of it, he did end up kind of chiming in at the end. So I think that's going to lead to my prediction of he'll eventually be an official member before the season's up. I agree. I hope that's where we're going with it. It's so right for him. He loves it. You know, like everything, he has to refuse until he finally adopts it. Not unlike Rebecca. I feel like we praise the writers every week, but a minor detail I really liked was Bumbercatch being the one who discovered the belief sign was ripped. And then during the game, he's also the first one to get a red card. I will say that even though I don't think violence is the answer, watching them get all the red cards was hilarious. I mean, Barbara enjoyed it. It was entertaining. And then on my Instagram post, someone named Joni Amerson had a great observation that I loved how it's Bumbercatch Cumberbatch slash Sherlock, who figures out that the sign was ripped. Yes! Snaps to that! So I'm just going to say this right now. I do not have the energy for a love triangle. Like Ted says, it's life's most complicated shape. 
So with everything that Keely said, do you think that she maybe still has feelings for Jamie? Because I hope that ship has sailed. I think that looking at Jamie in a new light, based on his evolution, all of the things that she would have loved to experience with Jamie while she was actually dating him, he kind of now is. So when Shandy brings him up, I think Keely is kind of realizing that all of the reasons she basically broke up with him aren't valid anymore because he doesn't behave that way. Or at least to a lesser degree. Right. He's evolving into the the great Jamie. Really want Roy and Keely to get back together. So it'll be interesting to see what they give us, but I'm still on team Roy and Keeley. So I've been feeling like Colin is kind of gently making jokes about gay situations in the show because they're getting ready to give us a big reveal soon. I'm kind of loving the very subtle way he's saying it without saying it. So since they specifically said that only the single players were doing the banter shoot and Colin did it, is he actually single or is just still putting up the whole hetero male front? I think that's part of him keeping up the front. But also, we don't know that he and Michael are like in a committed situation. It seemed like they're kind of a little bit casual based on their text in the last episode. So this episode also saw the arrival of a new character, Jack Danvers, where Jack is not short for Jacqueline like Higgins assumed, but actually short for my father wanted a boy. We don't really get to see a lot about Jack or get get a real insight on Jack. But I'm excited. I'm ready. I had someone message me this week saying that last week we were a bit too hard on Zava. And I'll say to that, Roy was so pissed off that Higgins was right that Zava probably wouldn't do the new formation. And he just fucking smashed the whiteboard. So that's my point for Zava for the week. We're tough, but I think we're fair. I would say that we are fair. And hey, if, if we're being tough on Zava, it's a credit to Max Osinski, who, who played it so well that we, you know, it had the desired emotional effect on us, right? So kudos. That's actually high, high praise. I feel like people enjoyed his whole thing about how he lets his kids name themselves. But I think what was actually funnier was his press conference where he talked about all the different uses of the word passion. It was a great way from the writers to throw in some levity since Richmond was getting destroyed in the second half. So to throw in some laughs there to kind of lighten things up a bit. Yeah. Although all of the stuff on the field was hilarious when they were getting killed. It was just, it made me laugh, even though it was horrible. <laughs> it still made me laugh. I didn't want them to lose tonight, but at least they went down swinging. Time for our favorite part of the week, the awards. Since Chris Ann and I are both huge Ted Lasso fans and we're nice people, we give out awards in a variety of fun categories each week. First up, MVP. MVP! MVP! Ooh, this is a really tough one for me this week. But I'm going to say Rebecca for calling out Rupert for screwing around with Ms. Cakes. My second word was going to be Jack for handing over the feminine products to Keely in the bathroom because there is nothing like another woman who is willing to pay it forward and hand tampon underneath the bathroom stall. And you, Kevin, who was your MVP this week? Well, I think Ted could win MVP alone just for being able to achieve simultaneous orgasms with Sassy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Get a man who can do both, am I right? Yeah. Absolutely. 
on a more serious note, the fact that he tried to ask Sassy out on a proper date, to me, feels like at least he's maybe ready to move on from Michelle. And then, of course, we've seen Ted get kind of drunk a few times, so it was good to see that he put down the drink for once. And even though, like you said, Chris Ann, he didn't really go too hard about the Dr. Jake stuff, at least he listened to Beard and vented about it. So a lot of growth for Ted in this episode. And now on the other side of the spectrum, the wanker of the week. Let's see what we got here. Wanker. What do you know? Rupert's back in an episode for more than five seconds, and he wins yet another Wanker of the Week award. It's unanimous. In the funeral episode, Rupert told Sassy, I've got a daughter now. I've changed. Fucking bullshit. He's at the very least snogging his assistant, if not shagging. I had to throw in the British terms for my UK peeps. And at the end, he kissed Rebecca on the cheek, which was probably, almost certainly, an unwanted advance. And he's continuing to manipulate the hell out of Nate with the call me Mr. Mannion, call me Mr. Rupert bullshit. So, like I said at the beginning, the full Rupert repertoire on display. You took the words right out of my mouth. You said it far better than I could have. I'm just going to leave it there, because I agree 100%. Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? My award this week goes to the legend himself, Mr. Roy Kent, when he says, fuck Nate, fuck thinking, and fuck Socrates. (laughs) It was so good. It was so good. It was both very funny very satisfying to hear him say that for me just saying fuck rupert would have been enough to win this award but then sassy also compared his nuts to raisins (laughs) she's so good with the rupert takedowns so good and now for the you're gonna make me cry award what made you really emotional in this episode i think when ted was telling michelle that he understood that they weren't together anymore, but that he loved her and that they were going to raise grandkids together and they have to raise Henry together. And um, that he loved their family, no matter what it looked like that, that one got the waterfall ready to go for sure. For me. Before I get into my answer, what you just said, I had waterfalls for the other way because I was laughing so hard. That was actually a line that Jason cribbed from himself from an interview he did with Questlove. But closer to the exact phrasing he used was when he's talking about him and Olivia, he's like, you know, we're going to have grandkids, you know, assuming that our kids fuck. So. <laughs> That's funny. Obviously, he had to tone it down for the Ted version. For the show. Yeah, absolutely. The moment that made me emotional was actually near the beginning when Nate accidentally knocks his Ted figurine onto the floor and then he kind of laughs kind of evilly. But then you see his face completely change and he feels kind of bad. And when he puts him back on table, it's like, oh, there you go. Like you could see the soft side and the reason why a lot of us fell in love with Nate in the first place, you know, like Beard said, he's a good lad. And this episode showed that the good lad is still in there somewhere. He's actually kind of looking to get out but unfortunately the dark forces are trying to keep that within him now for the i've always funny than stepbrothers award what was a really hilarious line moment scene it was um in reference to when beard's talking about codependence anonymous jane makes me go with her um that or when keely has her moment i need to go reapply my lip liner another brilliant callback i'm sorry i can't 
it's really hard for me to choose just one thing. I love to show that. For mine, it was definitely when Isaac karate chopped Jamie and his whole reaction to that was just fucking gold from Phil Dunster and just chugging along that Emmy nomination train for this year. Come on, Phil. We need to get him a nomination this year, people. And for the award that's all about fashion, she or he's fucking fit. She's fucking fit! I have kind of a special one this week. Jack isn't the only one who has amazing sparkly sneakers. I'm giving the award this week to Zava for sporting a pair of yellow Onitsuko Tiger Mexico 66. They looked familiar to you. There's a reason because they were the same shoes that Bruce Lee wore in Game of Death and that Uma Thurman wore in Kill Bill. That's such an homage, an homage on top of an homage. And it also aligns Zava with a history of, of badasses that spans several decades. And last but not least, since I'm a writer and I love Ted Lasso, it's Kevin's kick-ass line of the week. My entire top three for this was all Ted, but I think the one that has the most lasting impact was when he said, I'm a work in progress. I made a meme of this line with the intro when my therapist asked how I'm doing, and it resonated with a lot of people. And I think even on the show, they've showed that with all the characters' various arcs that progress isn't linear. Like, there's going to be ups and downs, but as long as the overall trajectory is going up, then that's all that matters. So Kevin, it's time for Chrisanne's Corner Kick. It's a little segment where I talk about something that's really cool on the show. And something that I noticed in the episode that I thought was amazing was Ted's very elaborate text history. So often shows don't do the text thing. And I know that at the end of season two, people were criticizing the show for him not having a nice in-depth text history with Michelle. Boy, oh boy, they certainly made that go right away. What did you think of that moment, Kevin? Well, having spoken to Chip Hamilton, Jason's assistant, and the show's courting producer, I loved the little Easter egg for the one text that said, your driver, Chip, is arriving soon. I love that. Well, it makes sense because as he told me, like on the show, some of the things you have to do is like run around and find things for different people. So technically, he does deliver. <laughs> We're killing all of the puns and the jokes today, Kevin. I just want to praise you for that. So we talked about Sassy earlier. You noticed that he received an image from Sassy on Valentine's Day. So probably a thirst trap. Ooh, la la. And on the other side of the shipping spectrum, the Ted Becca stands, I want to say jokingly, but never know with some of them that Rebecca sent him an attachment as well and some think that perhaps it was her topless photos from the yacht that the paparazzi took <laughs> well that's certainly very spicy and bold but that's what Rebecca's all about these days so and interestingly Rebecca is the only one in his contacts list that has a silly photo so interesting nice Good eye, small fry. Were there any that you really liked? I did kind of like seeing his reaction to looking through all of the texts from Dr. Jacob. <laughs> and it just made me want to punch Jake the jackass in the face. But a super Ted thing is that he gave a thumbs up to every single message from Dr. Jake. He sure did. Total Ted thing to do. Another total Ted thing to do is you'll notice for his exchange with Keely that he sent her a message that along the lines of, I hope you got home safely. 
love people who do that. And I always try to be that kind of person. I always ask everybody to text me when they get home to let me know that they're safe. And Ted strikes me like that kind of a person too. As for someone who wasn't really safe with Ted in his younger days, you'll, you'll notice that there's a name Ron Fouch. And I think that's the infamous Ronnie Fouch, who Ted said that used to poop inside of a Butterfinger wrapper. Ronnie Fouch. I saw that in that maybe Google. I love that they do stuff like that. I mean, they even include text to Mrs. Shipley. He also has um, a group chat with the coaches, and I love that he used the word audible. For those who don't know, in American football, it's when you originally have a play that you're going to go with, but then before you snap the ball, you decide to go with something completely different. So I love that they're using coaching terms in the coaching group chat. I love it. They knocked it out of the park. All the intention, all the attention to detail, what makes this show so special. And hey, if they're doing it for us in service of the fans, so be it. If they're thinking about their audience, just like the poets and geniuses quote that I talked about a couple episodes ago, I just think that's wonderful. I love it. I'm a giant fan. And that's why. And this is literally just from like five seconds of screen time, how much effort that they put into it. So I also noticed a text from Zero or Van Damme. I don't know if Ted's changed that in his contacts yet, but maybe we'll see that next episode where <laughs> Zoro texts him Fortnite. And as we know, Ted used to struggle with playing too, too many video games for too much. But unlike Dr. Sharon, who cut sugar completely out of her diet, Ted didn't cut video games out of his life because he just changed his relationship to them rather than just admitting that he had no power and not touching them at all. So clearly, Ted is still enjoying the video games. All right, the whistle is about to blow on this podcast episode, so we're in added time where we give you our final shots of what we think is notable and worth mentioning. One thing I enjoyed was I noticed that both the current and former Richmond Kitman both fell in this episode. Of course, Nate in the infamous security footage with the chair, and then Will when he got off of the bus. I also love that when Beard and Roy were explaining what formation they were going to go with to Higgins, that when they landed on Nate's False Nine, they made sure to say his name, but also put an X through it. And then shortly after that, when Ted walks into the office and he uses the famous acronym KISS, Obviously, he has the Ted version, which is keep it simple, smarty pants instead of stupid. Again, just very little things, but it just makes the characters so perfect. I do love the way that they layer characters. One of the things I loved a lot in this episode was Keely's pink fuzzy purse um, that she had with her at the match. Beg to differ, Claudia Schiffer. You didn't like the pink fuzzy purse? Aesthetically, I don't have an issue. It's just... Yeah, the bag is so giant and furry and all the dirt and bacteria that is picking up off of the floor. Got you. I totally understand. I was just kind of referring to we're seeing Keely evolve, but she's also always got all these fuzzy pink things. Um, uh, her bag, the ears, she has several fuzzy jackets. And do you remember when she and Roy were finally sitting down to talk about his career? She had these big fuzzy, fluffy pink pillows. I just love that they are continuing to represent Keely in that way because she's soft and she's like a warm hug sometimes, despite the fact that she's also the boss. And I thought that was really cute. The editing is always excellent since, of course, both Mel and AJ have been nominated for Emmys and AJ is one, of course. 
but some really beautiful shots in this one. There's one where Nate's looking at the article on his phone, and then it pans out and it shows Ted looking at the exact same article. And then when Sassy leaves Ted's apartment, there's a beautiful shot of Richmond, and then it transitions through all the characters around.、It、shows Sassy getting to a car, and then Nate driving by in his own car, and Roy. Training Jamie on the Richmond Green, and then when we're dissecting the trailer, some of the things we noticed was Isaac tapping the believe sign in his pink tracksuit, and Rebecca walking out of a building. And it was pretty interesting to see how the moments from those two shots evolved into some pretty serious stuff. And one final note: there were multiple soccer shows on in the background this episode, and one that I really enjoyed was the return of Gary Lineker and Thierry Henry, and the name of their show was called Proper G and T. <laughs> Proper G and T. I love that so much. They're so clever. God, the intention behind everything. It's so great. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could follow, rate, and review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. Be like Ted and give us a five-star certified fresh review. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso Is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there, with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds. Onward, forward.